Vettel literally just came alongside me and turned in. Wait, he brain tested me. I like it, vulnerable. Okay, I'm gonna pee in your seat. Hey, hey, steering wheel, somebody tell him to give it to me. Simply, simply lovely. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. Uh, we are here to talk car liveries, or at least those we have seen so far, and a little bit of a preview ahead to testing, really, next week. Um, I am your host this week, Tom King, and I'm joined by Chris Evans. Hello. Unfortunately, we have no stew this week, but it's his birthday today, so we'll let him off. This once. This once. <laughs> next time, there will be punishments. <laughs> Stop and go penalty. <laughs> of some description. Um, so yeah, we've we've had a few car launches last week and one today. Um, might as well go through them in order, I guess. But seems I guess the most so. sensible thing to do. So um, a not the order one, we expected, yeah. Yeah, a sneaky one was the first one because we were expecting Williams to be the first on the fifteenth, but then up popped Haas. It was on Valentine's Day, wasn't it? Yeah, all things. it feels a lot like because they're the only one not to announce a date, and it feels a lot like they just waited for every other team to announce their launch dates so they could go. Okay, we'll do it one day earlier. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, what do you think yourself, Chris, to to this entry for this year? Um, I think mainly I'm just glad it's not as grey as last year's car, which got progressively yes. more grey as the season went on. Um. Mm-hmm. This one is predominantly white, so it generally looks a bit nicer. Um, it doesn't look like a huge departure from last year's car. It's definitely got what I think is going to be a common thing this year in that the side pod area seems a lot like last year's Ferrari. Well, they're still technically Ferrari customers, That's aren't true, they? yeah. And have you actually seen the someone, um, one of the very technical people within the sport, um, can't remember who it was it might have been one of the james allisons or someone of this world posted a a top-down comparison of um the ferrari and the Haas. well last year's ferrari and this year's Haas. i did top down split down the middle and it's virtually identical yeah (laughs) other than the things that have had to change for regulation reasons like adding the halo removing the t-wing less shark fin stuff like that they're pretty much identical yep so <clears throat> wonder if that means we might see a little more from Haas this year yeah I mean Maybe. it's interesting given that Sauber are now kind of also Ferrari B team it's interesting to see that Haas are still still seem to be getting a bit of Ferrari assistance yeah it'd be interesting to see though if the Sauber is maybe somewhere between this and the next Ferrari yeah, that's true. We haven't seen what the new Ferrari is like, I guess. We see the new Ferrari on the 22nd, and then we see... Oh, no, we see the Sauber before that, don't we? We see the Sauber in the morning. Yes. We see two cars tomorrow. Or as this podcast goes out, if you're listening to it on release, it's today, now. may even already have been, depending on the time of day. Um, but yeah, so the 20th, which is as this show goes out, we should see Renault and Sauber. And they're both online launches, aren't they? So we, yeah. I expect to see them on Facebook and Twitter and the like. Um, so we'll get an idea of how much input Ferrari have had, I bet, from looking at that. Yes, very true. Um, but I've got a feeling that it will be between them and Haas. Yeah, I think so. For, for, for some 
position. I think they'll be quite close to each other as teams, Salper and Haas. I am. Um, I was reading the uh, like the official Haas launch page on the website today, and most of the like press release for it is just an advertisement for the rest of Haas. Like at the end, it's. Um, <laughs> There's like various quotes from Gunter Steiner and he says uh, the livery is a little bit of a return to what we had in our first car, the VF16 Steiner added. It's look, it's clean and precise, just like the machine tools made by Hass Automation. It's like, all right, Gunter. <laughs> Chill out, no one wants to buy your tools, we just want to see a car. I'm intrigued by the lack of sponsors on their car, to be perfectly honest. I know that as a racing outfit and an organisation, Hass is pretty huge in itself, but it probably shows how much Gene Hass's other companies and other sports teams are bankrolling the F1 team. Yeah, there's... The fact that there are so few sponsors. Either that or they've still got a few things in agreement between now and the start of the year and it'll fill up some of those blank spaces. But sort of when you look at that Hass, there's uh, Richard Miller, the watch guy, and Hass. <laughs> yeah, it. and there's an Alpine Stars logo, but they're just like the team wear provider, I think. So yeah, exactly. So it's only the same as the other guys, like Mercedes and um, Red Bull and the like, running Puma. Yeah, there's also something on the front wing end plate, but the pictures they released are so tiny, I can't actually make out what it says. Wind shear. Ah, okay. I can't tell what the rest of it says, but it, I know it, the company name says Wind shear. Who are another clothing company, I think. Maybe. Don't know. Who knows? But yeah, it's it's all fairly unremarkable all in all, really. The Hass, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if that does fill up or if they're just bankrolling it from the other parts of the company. Yeah. We will see. The Red Bull's never really had a huge amount of stuff on it other than Red Bull has it. Yeah, that's so true. it's not like it's impossible to do. Um so after that the car that we expected to see first, we saw second, yep. uh, and that was the new Williams, which was not too dissimilar looking in terms of livery from last year's, but there was the the black, very dark shape undercarriage yeah. underneath. That was the main change, I think, really, in the livery, wasn't it? Yeah, which... I mean, so it's if you look at the car side-on... It actually looks quite cool because the way that the white paint against the black curve sort of matches the curve of the halo, which actually looks quite nice. But I actually suspect that all that black is just to hide what's going on around that side pod area. Because there's a whole lot going on there. And it's quite difficult to see exactly what in these pictures. And you'll notice as well that the front wing itself is also all black. Yeah, which... Probably for similar reasons. Yes, very much so. Um, but again, they seem to have that gone down that route that Ferrari did last season where there's kind of small, quite high side pods laid quite far back in the car with kind of bodywork overhanging them. And then there's just yeah. an array of barge boards in front that's, as I said, in with this black paint is very hard to pick apart but what i find um quite nice looking about it is looking at it head on you know there's so much black in terms of the front wing and the underneath that you get this really nice sort of almost arrow shape where the nose looks really thin and 
kind of comes out yeah. the side pods in a really nice curve and from a head-on perspective the, the way that the black makes the rest of the car look almost invisible is the wrong word but you know you don't you don't pay as much attention to it and it does look really nice head-on because of the, just the little shapeliness that it gives it um but i'd love to see some close-up shots of it maybe with some contrast and some brightness yeah, adjustments to, to see what is going on underneath but i'm sure we'll get that next week during testing yep but yeah livery wise again not kind much of more sponsor the same, wise not much difference is there really there no so we'll see how that one does uh after that we got one this morning uh which was the the red bull rb40 yes and this one is a surprise because it is black and blue <laughs> Which nobody yeah, saw with coming. Yeah, lots of white bits. Yeah, <laughs> it's a completely different livery to the last several years of Red Bull. It's kind of a, like a digital mm. camo kind of thing, isn't it? Well, upon seeing it this morning, we all thought, between the three of us, Stu included, that this might be a classic testing livery, like what you see on Red Bull have themselves done it in the past for F1 testing a couple of years ago. And... Um, We've seen it on a lot of road cars, a lot of sports cars and stuff. When they go do laps around places like the Nürburgring, yeah. they, they tend to have these... They, it, to stop you really getting good photos of all the aero and the shapeliness of the car and to stop people being able to copycat. And we initially thought that that's what this might be. But since then, we've also seen sort of things like Daniel Ricciardo with overalls that match the car and boots that match the car and things like that, almost indicating that... Maybe the racing trim could be this new yeah layout. The the official word we don't know for sure. The official word for Red Bull is that it's a special edition livery, whatever the hell that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said the race paint job is only gonna be on the car at pre-season testing. So it all the way they say that makes it sound like they've designed this paint job and put it on the car just for photographs today and the shakedown that they did at Silverstone today which seems weird it it almost feels like they're saying that they can test the water and given that it's generally got a really good reaction from people that they might now say okay we're going to keep this but if it hadn't gone down so well then they could have reverted to like their previous livery without kind of too much backtracking well one particular I'm sure there's been many of them but one particular poll that I've seen today has got out of about fifty thousand people, eighty one percent percent saying that this should stay on the car as a permanent livery. That's, uh, that's pretty, pretty positive. Sizable, isn't it? Yeah, it's just something different, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's something a little bit more modern and a little bit more sleek and just nice. It's just nice. Yeah, it it's looks nice looking. Looks car. very cool. Um. And it's got the sort of Aston Martin uh, logo and the wings across the rear wing, which I think looks really cool. Yeah. Um, and even like the Red Bull logo and stuff are kind of got like a disruptive camo type thing going on. It's really nice. It is very nice and so much going on body work. Yeah, the car itself. So, so there's, a, there's a gallery that I think it was on the F1 Reddit page by someone called SmileyFace3000, um, who's basically taken the photos and kind of brightened a lot of the darker areas because most of the kind of front body work was much like the Williams photo. It was just kind of a black mess. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it's it's got those Ferrari-style, small, quite high, quite far-back side pods. It's got almost like horizontal 
they're almost like backwards aeroplane wings like sticking out directly above the side pods and then just a world of barge boards in front of them which is interesting because i remember this time last year when we saw the 2017 red bull and the launch pictures had like <laughs> had nothing. it was just like one square bit of barge board bolted to it and we all yeah. said that's clearly they're clearly like hiding something that they'll turn up with in testing and then they didn't like like in testing they still had barely anything going on there so clearly yeah. it's an, that's an area they very much concentrate on this year i think i think there's a lot more new um involvement now yeah i think there? so because i think with la- if i remember rightly with last year's car he was barely involved at the beginning of the year and the the initial designs because of his work with aston martin yeah. and then he's sort of slowly reintegrated into the team during the season if I remember correctly. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if he's just had a lot more involvement. Plus, they'll have taken things that worked last year and tried to improve on yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. These I years' guess. cars are very much evolutions of uh, last year's. Because obviously, it was quite a big yeah. change last year. And obviously, in terms of engine development, we're coming to a point where realistically the engines are probably getting towards the top end of what they'll be capable of. Yeah. So this is as big a year as any to sort to refocus onto aero. I think. Yeah, definitely. As much as last year proved that that was coming, I think this year is the key, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, interesting that all three teams so far there's doesn't appear to be much in the way of like aerodynamic fairings on the halos. I think that's definitely something they're all going to be keeping under wraps until testing. Um, yeah. The Red Bull one seems to be slightly more moulded into the bodywork than the other two, but even then, it's there's not much. It's just kind of at the points where it bolts to the car. Um, I mean, the Haas halo you can barely see because it's painted black and it's against a black background, to be fair, so there could be anything going <laughs> yeah. on. Um, and I think Williams missed a trick not painting the martini stripes across the top of the halo. That could have looked quite nice. but um, Yeah, it could have made it look a little... Do you know what it took? We had this conversation the other day when the Haas launched. It took me three attempts of watching that launch video to actually <laughs> realise there was even a halo on it. And I came to the realisation that have I now just become accustomed to seeing cars with halos on already yeah. before they've even got out on track this season? Because we've obviously seen a lot of testing and we've seen pictures of, of kind of like the um, Dallara F2 chassis and all sorts of things with halos on. And I don't know, it just it's almost like it's becoming second nature to see that now. Um, and it's, I don't know, being one of the people that was a little upset about it being a bit of an eyesore at first, to not notice it on the first car launch of the year surprised me personally. Yeah. Um, well, Red Bull put up some pictures from the shakedown that uh, Ricardo did at Silverstone today, and looking at those as well, I kind of it took me a little bit to go, oh yeah, the halos on there. Like I hadn't really like the. I think the only thing where it stands out is when you see a shot of a car dead on, like driving straight towards you. It kind of stands out there, but any kind of side on views, it just sort of I don't know. I'm just kind of used yeah. to them being part of the car now. I'm really interested to see what teams start doing with them. Yeah. Um, in terms of aero, for sure. That's that's the next thing to keep your eye yeah. out for after the cars have launched, which 
I'm not a hundred percent sure we'll even see all of that no, in probably testing. not. You might see the odd little bit, but I don't think teams will be showing their full hands until Melbourne. No, almost certainly not in that department. So, uh, and then yeah, as we've said slightly already, the ones to look forward to this week there is. Uh, Renault and Sauber, which, as we said, will be launching today as this show goes out on the 20th. Uh, Mercedes is on February the 22nd, as is Ferraris. And then McLaren's will be February the 23rd. And then the last one that we will see at the moment is Toro Rosso's, and that will be at Barcelona at the start of testing on Monday the 26th. The only team really to have not confirmed anything at all is Force India. So we may not even (laughs) see a a brand new car. um, Yeah, people are assuming it will be first day of testing, but yeah, it's not confirmed. Although it's also also supposedly they're going to be launching their new team name at the same time as their car launch, which is going to be something like Force. Force F1. F1 or Team Force. Was Force was Force F1 the one that we've seen registered, I think? I think so, yeah. Something to that effect. Speaking of team names, on the official uh, 2018 entry list that the FIA put out, there were actually a couple of existing teams that have uh, changed their names, bizarrely. Um, so Force India is still down to Sahara Force India, but we expect that to change. Sauber obviously are now Alfa Romeo Sauber F1 team. Um, mm. And then, most confusingly of all, which I think we may have mentioned before, Red uh, Toro Rosso, sorry, are now officially Red Bull Toro Rosso Honda, which is an absolute mouthful. Yep. Mm. Uh, McLaren are just down as McLaren F1 team now. I believe they were officially McLaren Honda before, um, but they're not even McLaren Renault, yes, they're they just were. McLaren F1 team now. Uh, but there we go. We'll have to wait and see what Force India become. Um, hopefully we will know in a yeah hopefully they'll be at the first test <laughs> indeed um, speaking of actually you mentioned McLaren there just briefly um, we've already seen a little teaser of what their new car may turn out to look like um, over the last couple of days they've been tweeting things to do with the classic papaya orange of the old um, McLaren era uh, so it was sort of like little pics of all the old cars in that original solid papaya colour um, and little hints of like orange trail and things like that. And then tonight, just before we've recorded, they've released a full sort of, what, 90 second or so yeah, trailer like for the for the launch. So it's looking very much like papaya orange is making a much stronger comeback this year. Yeah, rather than the kind of different orange they inexplicably used last season. Yeah, um, speaking of that, I'm I'm going to choose this as a moment to bring something up, which is the McLaren documentary from the start of last season that's now gone out on Amazon Prime Video or Instant Video, whatever it's called now, the video service (laughs) you get with Amazon Prime, (laughs) that thing. Um, But there's a four-part series on there called Grand Prix Driver, and it's four half-an-hour... 30-minute documentary shows about the launch of last year's McLaren car and the build-up to that launch. And it's a really inside, behind-the-scenes look at what teams like McLaren and 
probably most of the grid, the things that they will go through in the process of launching a car, announcing their drivers, all the publicity stuff, but also the the troubles and the roadblocks that they hit. And I was like fixed. Once I'd watched the first episode, I thought, oh, I'll try the first episode. (laughs) That was it. I ended up sitting and watching the whole two hours and then I just watched it all. And I just kept watching the episodes. It was amazing how much access they actually gave them behind the scenes. Um, Yes. There was still... um, (laughs) Stu uh, said to me when I saw him over the weekend, uh, you can see why McLaren was struggling so much because loads of their parts were just really blurry. So it's no wonder they couldn't get them working properly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But apart from like a few select parts of the car, basically you just saw them working on everything. And there was like this cameras in like lots of crisis meetings they're having and stuff. Um, yeah. There's so many fascinating little details. Like the fact that I always assume that car launches, it's just kind of a shell that they stick on a stage. But it turned out that the car that you saw McLaren launch last year was literally all the bits of car they'd finished building at that point all bolted together. And the mechanics all kind of had to sit and twiddle their thumbs and work on other bits and bobs while they were doing the launch. And as soon as the launch was over, they quickly wheeled the car back so they could carry on working on it. Because at that point, that was the only car they had. Because they were having all kinds of trouble with the floor. Like, the floors of the cars were taking forever. Um, yeah. Issues with brakes, rear brakes. Yeah. Issues with the engine, obviously. Um, it was... It was surprising to see how much, um, maybe struggles the wrong word, but just how much trouble they were running into. And it is one of those things where I think that they're probably always up against it, but it just seemed like crisis after crisis yeah. after crisis. And, you know, there was, like you said, there was shots of crisis meetings where they literally sat there going, okay, we've got no floor, we've got no brakes. We've not got this. We've not got that. These are all critical, and these are failures within the company. Why is yeah. this happening? And that's not even considering the problems of the Honda engine at that point. Yeah, and again, just watching them, like, well, it was when they're, tr- they're trying to do the first fire-up of the new engine on the car, and just watching the the atmosphere in there with these Honda engineers frantically mm-hmm. trying to get the damn thing working, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's a fasc- fascinating watch. It's well worth having a look if you uh, if you have Amazon Prime. Yeah, and I hope I I haven't heard if they have or not, but I hope that they've done something similar for this year just to show how changing yeah, to Renault that'd be really has interesting. has affected what they're doing and and see if it's been an easier year. And so it'd be really interesting to see that come the start mm. of next season. It's a shame you have to wait so long, but. I can kind of understand yeah, why totally. you wait so long because they don't want, you know, there'll be people in other teams that can sit and watch that and pick out things much more crucial and, and things yeah. like that than what we can, even with all the blurred bits yeah. that they blur out. So literally the only drawback of that documentary for me is Michael Douglas. Yeah, it's such a strange choice of narrator. I don't... It just pronounces everything so strangely he, it's a right like, right at the start it does the very first intro like he just butchers saying fernando alonso and stoffel van dorn but then stoffel van dorn but then he, he carries on doing that for the whole four hours of it or <laughs> yeah. whatever it is it's like it, it always sounds like it's the first time he's reading the names and then he tries to say Renault um, towards the end which is another disaster yeah Renault. <laughs> <laughs> 
ne- next year they'll be using Renault. <laughs> <laughs> what? I know that the Americans and us have a very different way of saying Renault. Yeah, but he and he doesn't really do either. <laughs> he but does his own thing. He, he just does. He just does his own Mickey Douglas thing, like Renault. Yeah, he was an in, it's an interesting choice for it. And there are a cu- there's a couple of bits across it as well that feel a bit stage like at one point you see like some of the mechanics like sat around having their lunch like talking about the first test and it's just doesn't feel very natural at all then there's another part where it's so supposed to be like journalists having a dinner after the first test but it's like so clearly staged for the purposes of filming this documentary which Mm. well sort of we're a bit dull compared to the rest of it I think the scenario is staged but the opinions and what they say oh yeah yeah the opinions totally are it just it just feels Considering how kind of raw and real the rest of it is, those parts really, really stood out to me. Yeah, I, I see your point with that. The um, One of the parts that stood out to me was a little bit of radio transmission from Alonso where during the first test, obviously those of you who saw the first test and saw what was going on, they managed something like 20 laps compared to other teams doing hundreds during the first test, it was a ridiculously poor. There was a day where Alonso did something like an outlap, came in, then did an outlap about three hours later and came in, and it was a it was a shambles. And there's a moment on the radio where Alonso says something along the lines of, "This is a something something shit engine <laughs> and a shit power unit." Um, <laughs> And it's like, that is after two laps. He yeah. says that, and it's like, well, he knew what was coming. <laughs> yeah, he knew what the rest of his seasons would be like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, go watch it. it yeah, definitely really well worth a watch. watch. It's a good watch. Um, and talking about Alonso gives us a little segue into something else to mention, which is the fact that he will be doing a more or less complete world endurance season for Toyota. Yeah, there's after all of the willy won't he do Le Mans, it turns out he's doing Le Mans and every other race. Um, well, even Fuji now. Fuji was the questionable one, wasn't it? But yeah. Obviously, Toyota have been in the organisers' ears about moving the date of Fuji, presumably so that Alonso can take part, and that has now gone through, hasn't it? That's yeah. official. And it's annoyed an awful lot of people in the process because. It had already been moved once to not clash with a, um, I think it was an American Le Mans series round that a lot of mm. drivers do both series. So they moved it to avoid that clash and have now moved it back again. So Alonso can do it, but there's lots of other drivers <laughs> on the grid who now have to choose between the two, which is a little unfortunate. I think that shows both the power of Toyota in Japan mm-hmm. and the draw of Fernando Alonso. Yeah, absolutely. Those two as a combination, like, bearing in mind, I think Toyota is still, they'll be the only manufacturer team for them, won't they? So I I guess they've got the biggest draw for that reason, but to have enough to put everybody else's nose out of joint is impressive, I think, to a certain degree. Yeah. Um. So he's going to be teammates with Sebastian Buemi and uh, Kazuki Nakajima for the season. Which is a solid lineup, I would say. I would say so. Um, Mr. Buemi, who is in Formula E again this year. Yep. 
reigning champion. Is Nakajima doing anything else other than Le Mans? Well, I'm not World Endurance. I have a feeling he might do like Super GT or something like that in um in yeah. Japan, but I'm not certain. Fair enough. Uh, the other Toyota is to be driven by uh, almost legend now of the sport, hmm. Mike Conway, uh, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Lopez. So that's another strong another team. Another very strong team, yeah. Um, um, but it does mean that Anthony Davidson has been dropped, uh, and he's now a reserve driver for that team. Yeah, kind of slightly unceremoniously as well. It's a little bit sad, actually. I mean, he's been with them since, I think, 2013, and he won the championship in 2014. Yeah. And then just kind of out of the blue, they suddenly announce their new lineup, and he wasn't on it. So everyone kind of went, oh, I guess, I guess he's gone now then, has he? And it was sort of all a bit unceremonious. I guess we'll get more of his expert analysis on... Um, yeah, there is that. <laughs> on the F1, in, if you watch Sky Sports. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I guess he would originally have been down to do the Fuji round, but now that's moved as well. Yeah. Uh, no need. Yeah. Um, it means that in total, Mr. Alonso will compete in 28 races <laughs> over the course of 2018. Yeah, it's it's a hell of a schedule he's got. Um, he barely gets a week off. Some of the back-to-backs he's doing as well are crazy. Uh, yeah, so he's already done the Daytona training for hours. Then he's got one, two, three, the first four F1 races. Then he's off to do the uh, Spa WC race. Then back to Spain, Monaco, Canada for F1. That he's got to, he's got six days between the Canadian Grand Prix and the this year's Le Mans Twenty Four Hour. Then the f- weekend after that, he's uh, in the French Grand Prix. So that's three weekends back to back. He's also got the the six hours of Silverstone drops in the F One summer breaks. That's not quite so bad. Uh, then he's got the six hours of Fuji seven days after the Japanese Grand Prix so that sort of works out for him Um, then he's doing the US Grand Prix and the Mexican Grand Prix on subsequent weekends Uh, Brazilian Grand Prix then yeah he's got to do Brazil to Shanghai within the space of a few days and then all the way back to Abu Dhabi the following weekend for the final race of uh, the F1 season so I don't think he's going to be home for like most of the year, basically. It's an insane schedule. It, it really is. An um, insane schedule. McLaren have been quite forward in saying he very much is still a McLaren driver. He's on loan to Toyota and he isn't going to be doing anything in the way of like promotional stuff for Toyota other than when he is at the races. Um so it's they're, they're being very clear that it's this kind of loan deal but um he is definitely not going to quit until he gets a triple crown no he's not and i think he's, i mean st- stepping his foot into indy last year and then this this season is him definitely a- attempting that you know if there was a year to attempt the le mans 24 hours especially with being in a car like Toyota, this is probably the year to do it. Yeah. With them being literally the, in all honesty, the only 
people that they can lose that race to is themselves in the sense of their stereotypical Le Mans failures. Yeah. Although that being said, considering that Toyota are the only um, factory team remaining, they've still got a full 60-car grid for for Le Mans this year, including 10 LMP1 entries. So there's still very much a lot of competition there. It's going to be interesting to see how they all stack up because i think i'm writing saying that toyota are the only high yeah they are toyota the only hybrid one so it's gonna be interesting to see the balance between their hybrid engines and everybody else's normally aspirated engines Indeed, it's gonna be fascinating it is definitely if you've never been um an endurance follower or anything like that i think this season could be a good one to to just stick your nose in and have a look especially because you'll have somebody almost I guess to feel like you can support if you're a Fernando fan or you want to see how well an F1 driver can do transitioning like so many people went and watched the Indy 500 because of Alonso being there so I can imagine so many people are going to tune into World Endurance Races this year over and above those who normally do just to see how Fernando's doing on so definitely worth a look if you don't regularly watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then the last sort of bit of news really over the last couple of weeks since we did an episode was we saw the launch and preview of what will be next year's Formula E car, which is a visual um, pleasure is probably the safest word it's I can use. basically a Batmobile. <laughs> it is... The future of all things car. <laughs> yeah, it's. I guess it's because it's a spec series and the cars are given to the teams and the teams then put in their own, uh, you know, still not batteries, but they put in their own uh, motors and gearboxes and whatnot. Yeah. But the, the, the shell of the car is identical to everyone. So they can kind of do what they want design-wise because it's not like they're trying to get performance gains from the bodywork. So as a result, the FE designers have just gone a bit crazy and just built this car that looks like nothing else. It looks incredible, though. It's phenomenal. It is brilliant. It's I sort can't of... wait to see those things going wheel to wheel around street circuits because it will look incredible. Yeah, it's the, the sort of split rear wing thing they've got going on, like high up above the rear wheels and... The big scoops up around the front. Yeah, the, the diffuser it, that sticks out about a foot behind the back yeah, of the car as well. It's, it's such a weird... It's almost a combination. It's somewhere between being a Le Mans prototype and an open-wheel car. Yeah, because it's, technically, with that bodywork, it's hard to com- consider it an open-wheel car anymore. Yeah, it's almost not open wheel, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, somewhat... the current ones kind of aren't, kind of are, but they're very much the the current ones are sort of to me reminiscent of an Indy car in the sense that the front end is generally open wheeled and the rear end's a little more covered by bodywork for aero reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these new ones just look insane and they are to me they sort of toe a line between being a Le Mans prototype style racer and yeah. an open wheel racer and there's so much going on that 
the halo is the last thing that you're looking at on that car. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, again, because they, they've they been designed aesthetically, not because of performance, they've sort of been able to just flow the halo into the bodywork so it doesn't kind yeah. of look like it's a sort of bolted-on afterthought, which these kind of are still getting with the F1 cars. Yeah. But Yeah, can't again, wait to see those for real. Another series that if you've never looked at it before, start looking at it because it's getting yeah. better and better. That next year as well, with the introduction of this car, should see the the introduction of the no car change races. Yes, the new batteries are gonna be able to do a full race distance. Yeah. They're still trying to work out a way of forcing a pit stop to add some intrigue and excitement to the races so it's not just a flag to flag race. Um I'd guess that it'd be maybe tyre-related that they'd have to do that, but... Possibly, you know, they, yeah. They don't tend to... They don't tend to wear tyres enough to need to change them during a race, and um, they're pretty happy with the way they've got the tyres at the minute, aren't they? So I don't think they'd want to change too much about them. No, so not at all. It would be interesting to see what they do there in Formula E, but I'm sure they'll think of something. Yeah, but again, if you've not watched Formula E especially this season can't recommend it enough um yeah i think there's there's something like eight different drivers within a handful of points at the very top like we've had numerous different winners in the first four rounds uh i think everyone on the grid now has scored points except the reigning champion who's lucas degrassi <laughs> um yeah it's just just phenomenal racing. Uh, in fact, the last race in Santiago was a 1-2 for um, Tachita. Uh, Verne won and Lotteru a second. And that was the first 1-2 for a team in Formula 1 history. Exactly, yeah. Which is crazy. And we're in the third season now. Fourth? No, fourth season, in fact, yeah. Fourth season. It's um, such a competitive series. Th- yeah, I think that a lot of that comes back to the fact that as much as the aero does do work for the car, it's nowhere near as critical as what it is in no. the likes of Formula One. Uh, you know, there's so much less going on with the front wheel wings. It's so much easier for these guys to follow each other nose to tail um, without worrying about the turbulent air. And even though the tracks are probably half and even a third of the width of some F1 tracks yeah. because of the way that they're all tight street circuits, they still find a way to get round corners side by side and stuff like that. Yeah. So as as much as people were sceptical over the fact that, oh, it's electric racing, racing there's no engines and and what, whatever that, just, no, it's the wrong opinion to have on it. If, if you're a true racing fan, you should be watching Formula E as much as any yeah. other motorsport, I think, personally. The racing itself is just incredible at the moment. Um, yeah. Actually, interesting, the next race, which is a week on Saturday, if you're listening to this when it first goes live, is at uh, Mexico City, and it uses quite a lot of the uh, Mexico Formula 1 circuit, actually. Yes, it uses the same pit straight grandstand. Uh, the stadium section as well will be they in a slightly of, different layout. The, yeah, they come infield a little sooner yeah. uh, to hit the stadium section without going as far out and around, but... It is, it's basically the, the Mexican Grand Prix It actually Prix uses most of the classic um, oval from the old, old Mexican Grand Prix, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been a good race the last couple of seasons, so can very much recommend that. For sure. Um, and that sort of wraps up news that we have for this week. Uh, I think so, we yeah. have 
We have been asked for our opinion on things from people such as Craig Mitchell, who has asked us, uh, with the return of Billy Monger to an F3 car, does this pave the way for other disabled people getting racing seats in top teams or a car being adapted for them? And does it maybe even pave way to a Paralympic style of racing series? Um, yeah, I mean, it was amazing to see him back in a car. So for anyone who doesn't remember, uh, this was... He's 18, I think, isn't he? He um, is now, yeah. And was it It was last year, I think, he had that crash? It was last year at Donington. Yeah, um, in a British F3 round where he had a horrible crash into the back of someone and had to have both legs amputated. Um, yeah, and he's done. Crash. Yeah, he's done like little bits of driving in kind of. He's uh, like a Beetle or something. I think he started with, wasn't he? Just like there was, a, there was a modified VW Beetle series that he first tested in, and now obviously he's um, he's looking at racing a, an adapted F3 car for yeah, the British F3. Um, and yeah, like after that, it's incredible to see him back in a single seater again. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, I very much hope that he can still, like, progress through his career. I mean, uh, uh, Zanardi is obviously the kind of benchmark for that after he had his horrific IndyCar crash and lost his legs and basically died there on the track and was brought back a couple of times. Um, and he managed to go back. He didn't, never went back to IndyCar, but he certainly went back and had a career in racing. I think it was sort of touring car type stuff he did he's, he? he's competed in world touring cars yeah uh, um, won races in fact yeah and they um they should be racing i believe the daytona 24 hours together oh really i, I do remember reading that um next year or possibly the year after just because of the sort of prep involved that Zanardi and Monga should be doing an endurance race together. That would be incredible. Um, how how nailed on it is, I'm not 100%, but I do remember reading that um, it's something that should, in theory, be happening at some point in the near future. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course... Yeah, it, there was... It's interesting to see the adaptations that they're having to make uh, for Billy as well, for the, for the F3 car. So he's... He's currently, I believe, breaking with his right leg because I'd, I'd assume it's because his amputation on his right leg is actually sort of around the shin sort of area. So he's he's got below the knee, he, he, he still has leg, uh, whereas on his left leg it was just above the knee. So I believe that that's the reason for him using his right leg for breaking, but then his throttle is based upon his wheel. Yeah. So it's... It's not as complicated as having everything under his thumbs and fingers on the on the wheel, um, but he's had to fight with certain boards to get the ability to race. Yeah, the FIA actually kind of reversed a rule that was in place, didn't they? Because mm -hmm. technically, to start with, he wouldn't have been allowed to have a racing license again, and they sort of no. After he appealed, they um, changed that ruling. Well, not for open wheel open cockpit racing oh really it was it was specifically down to uh, okay, open wheel open cockpit which is why Zanardi's been able to do things like right, touring cars now whether Zanardi was never um, kind of he didn't have the desire to go and try and fight that because he didn't want to get back in open cockpit and open wheel racing that 
is maybe the reason the ruling was still there. Yeah. But they've, I, I believe that with the rule changes, he could technically raise even as high as F1. How likely that would be, it, yeah. I suppose, is down to you know, him and anyone else in similar scenarios talent really more than anything. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, if he's got the speed, then I guess there's no reason I, why. I think the biggest concern for people with someone like Billy moving to a, something as high as F1 is that there's a lot of regulations in place about the speed of being able to yeah. get out of the car in an accident. And at the minute, the way that he's getting in and out of a car is going to be severely hindered by a halo being added to it because he sort of has to hop himself up onto the the nose and then kind of shuffle backwards and in so he may be able to lift himself over a halo but it's when things like that start coming into the equation that i think that you know you it's not you don't want to limit somebody in his position, do you? No, but at the for same their own time, safety as well, you you don't want to be putting them in a more dangerous position because of any disabilities. So, you know, if he's got the talent and the speed, or somebody else in a similar position, yeah. has, I can't see why not. But I think there would be certain things, sort of regulations that they'd have to meet to be able to race in certain series. Yeah, because there was also, um, I think it was was it last year's. Is it the last year's Le Mans or the year before? A guy called Frederick Sose, um, who was a quadruple amputee. Um, yes. Completed the full 24. The They have the Garage 56 entry, which is kind of the experimental car yeah. um, entry. And him and two able-bodied drivers had a car where they could switch it between sort of the two control systems. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he managed to compete, and they actually completed the full race. So... Yeah, there's definitely like scope for people with these sort of injuries to still compete. As you say, it's just the things like, like I think even without a halo, like the you have to be able to get yourself out of a car. It's within like eight or ten seconds, which you know yeah. could be a, a difficult test for him to pass. But yeah, I mean, if he's still if he's still quick, then I, I don't think there should be any reason why he doesn't carry on progressing. Hopefully, for sure. Be, I'd be very interested to see how he does in Formula 3 this year. Yeah. Just because it's, it's the next step up, logically, from where he was, because he was in British F4 before, which is the old Formula Fords that follow around British touring cars yeah. as a series. So I'd be interested to see how, how he gets on at that level. For sure. Um, another one we had was from Paul Kelsall. He said, realistically, how far do the teams expect to get with three engines and a larger calendar? Renault probably won't get past China based on last season. But what about Honda? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they might not get past um, Melbourne at this rate. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah like maximum three engines for the season. So I think we're going to start seeing engine penalties very, very early on. It's like this was always like their plan was to bring down the number of engines year on year. And while you can see what they were sort of going for, it's based on what happened last year. It's just a bit too soon. Like we're gonna have another. Th- I could, there's gonna be lots of situations. I think again where you're gonna have to like uh, the, the grids are gonna be decided on the list that the FIA publish an hour after qualifying's finished. After they've applied all the penalties, rather than what yeah. you've actually watched in qualifying. Well, 
one team that I don't think will have a huge problem with it, or or any team that's powered by them, is Mercedes. Because yeah. they generally do okay in terms of the reliability in the engine life. Um, as as did Ferrari last year. They weren't really too yeah. bad, were they? It was more... Um, it was more incidents, and then for the lower teams powered by Ferrari, Sauber had a unit that was at least a year old, if not two, and Haas seemed to have more trouble with things like brakes and gearboxes than engines. So I think teams powered by the top two engine units and power units in terms of Ferrari and Mercedes probably won't struggle too much. Yeah. Because, as I was saying earlier, you know, we're getting towards a point now in this engine cycle where the power gains year on year are diminishing now so year on year that power gain is just diminishing over time which means reliability in theory is the the priority um so i think those teams and teams powered by them will be a lot better off Renault weren't too bad towards the end of the year. Renault but still seemed, had difficulties. They seemed to like only be able to have one of their cars working properly per race, didn't they? It's like yeah, whether it was in the Red Bull or in their own yeah. car. If it wasn't one, it retiring, seemed to it be was, it was kind of one or the other. Um, yeah, so hopefully so, they've got their head around that a little bit more. I think McLaren and Alonso were hoping so yeah. as well, but. Um, yeah, we we might see some teams struggling. I think Toro Rosso, sorry, Red Bull, Toro Rosso, Honda <laughs> will struggle this year just because it's the Honda. Yeah. Um, I think the Renaults will probably be a close second behind them and then the others will generally be okay. And then next year, we don't, we don't have a scheduled engine change, do we, for next year? Uh, no, it should thing, be the same engines, I think. Same regulations, so at least. So by next year, you'd have thought that even Honda have managed to get reliable you'd hope at that so. stage. Surely. And again, we said that this time Surely. last year. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Um, James, I'm not sure if this is Gillette or Gillette, but I'll say both. James G. James G. <laughs> he asked, uh, why don't the teams release their cars all on the same day so we don't have to see all these different renders and stuff all the time? I think I'm right um, in saying this is something that was actually talked about at one point. I don't know if it was... I can't if it was like FOM or Liberty Media or somebody, or maybe even some of the teams trying to push for having kind of a... like an, a launch event thing and all the teams on the same day. But I think the teams themselves kind of pushed back because it's sort of... I think A, it doesn't give them any room for adjustment if their car's not ready in time and also i think they just like to have a day to themselves to get lots of nice well social media and whatnot funny you mention that because do you not remember um in the mclaren documentary oh, yes. where they're, they're talking about their launch and they do actually mention in that about how Generally, the teams will come together and try and organise a schedule so that every team has their own day um, and the teams will go forward and say, we'd like to launch on this day and another team will say, oh, that's fine, we want to launch on this day. And generally speaking, they try and organise it so that each team has their own day so they've all got their own moment, if you like. Um, And the thing that was winding them up in the McLaren documentary was they'd put their name forward for the particular day that they launched last year 
and everyone was like, yeah, that's fine, you know, we'll go before, we'll go after, all that kind of stuff. And then Ferrari, at the very last minute, decided, we want to launch on the same day, <laughs> if you remember. And it really pissed McLaren yeah, off. Yeah, their, like, press as officer they, As they alluded to in that documentary. Not happy about that. Although I did enjoy, um, someone said, well, I guess we know what the Ferrari's going to look like anyway, and Alonso just went, yeah, it's red. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's exactly it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Do you know what? He is in that for a, probably a grand total of 10 minutes, Mr. Fernando Alonso. However, he's the highlight of the whole documentary. He absolutely is. He's just endlessly entertaining. that entire 10 minutes, he nails every single moment <laughs> that he's in it. Uh, we should stop talking about it in too much detail, though, because yes. we're going to ruin it for everyone and they'll never watch it. Um, so we'll move on to the last question, which was from one Keegan Sutton Baker. And he says, do you think McLaren actually has a reasonable chance this year or will they only just slightly improve? This that, that is the question, isn't it? I mean, based on last year, most people seem to agree that the McLaren as a car was very, very, very good. Like, you heard drivers mm-hmm. from other teams over the radio on a few occasions saying how quick the McLaren was in the corners and how hard it was to follow through some of the corners. So based on that, you'd hope with a better engine in the thing, they'd be much, much close to the front. Um, I'd personally expect, this is what I expect of them, not necessarily what I think will happen, but I would expect them to be in the Red Bull ballpark of last season. They Now... Whether they both, as a, as two teams, struggle to start this season, I'd hope not, because I'd hope Red Bull and Renault can carry on from where... Well, sorry, Tag Heuer, branded engine, <laughs> can carry on from where they were last season with their new Aston Martin branded engine. And then McLaren are lucky enough to be building a chassis that's as good as the Red Bull chassis, and sticking that same engine and power unit in the back. Yeah, I think... So, in theory, I think they should be challenging for... They should almost certainly overtake Renault, and I've actually seen people from Renault kind of saying that they expect as much. Um, But Renault are still very much in their kind of multi-year, working their way back up kind of phase. Um, But yeah, I, I would very much like to see them among... Red Bull sort of level. I think we'll see a podium from them this season. I think we'll get yeah, a McLaren my, my podium. Yeah, my grand prediction would be to see a McLaren driver on a podium. And it'll be somewhere like Monaco or maybe even Australia. Like a, a, a little, a, a, a twisty, tricky circuit more than a a power circuit. Yeah, some somewhere where you would generally expect in the Ferraris to win last year. And and the sort of places Red Bull picks up podiums last year. Yeah. Hungary might not be a bad shout. Yeah, actually. <gasps> which <laughs> which <laughs> which we we hopefully will be uh present to see a McLaren podium. Well, well we'll be present for whatever. We'll, we'll definitely be present. <laughs> Just yeah, so for those interested, back of the grid will be attending. Well, one third of us will be attending the German Grand Prix, and all three of us will be attending the Hungarian Grand Prix this this year. So we'll hopefully do some some sort of live show, I guess, from Hungary at least. 
Yes. Which, if you're in Hungary, let us know. Yeah, it's a long shot, but if you know Come get on the show or something. It'd be fun. Yeah. We'll be in uh, one of the bronze grandstands, hopefully with T-shirts or a flag or something to give us away. Yeah. (laughs) We haven't got gold grandstand money. (laughs) We ain't got gold. We're not that big yet. (laughs) (laughs) Not until we start our Patreon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, In the next few weeks as well, we'll be getting the new site up and running, hopefully, in prep for the season, because... That is only, what, about 36 days away or something it's now? It's really racing up on us, isn't it? Um, yeah, that means I need to get my web development skills out and finish that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, we should be doing a sort of mid-testing roundup because testing, as you may or may not know, starts on Monday, as in coming Monday, not Monday, just gone. <laughs> yep. Um, and then there is a second test... Uh, I want to say two weeks after that. Is that right? At the beginning of March? Uh, it is... Yes, March 6th to 9th is the second test. Yeah, so we will do um, an interim show between the two to review what we have found from testing. Actually, that's perfect. And... It's uh, first test finished on March 1st. That gives you a couple of days off during which time you can watch the uh, Formula E race. And then just after <laughs> that, back to everyone testing. There you go. Um, and then, yeah, we will sort of be here throughout, reviewing what we've seen in testing, previewing what's upcoming, and then looking ahead towards the season beginning in Melbourne. I'm sure we'll do a, a livery ranking once all the uh, cars are We did last year. as well. Although we got questionable responses on one of our decisions last we did. year. We'll see how well it goes remember, this year. I can't remember who we ranked at the bottom, but people weren't happy with what we ranked at the I bottom. I think it was the Sauber. It was it was the uh, the old cigarette packet Sauber livery that we weren't a fan of. And we ranked the Force India near the bottom as well until it turned pink and then we all decided we liked it a lot more. That did definitely make a difference, <laughs> even if it did look like some kind of sea creature. <laughs> But that's us getting sidetracked. So enjoy the livery reveals over this week and hopefully you will enjoy testing. And be sure to join us uh, in a couple of weeks' time for the testing review. I'm sure we'll be on Twitter through the whole thing as well, so let us know what you think of stuff that's going on. Indeed. And if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do so by following at backofthegridf1. You can find us on Facebook too, at backofthegrid, or just put facebook.com slash back of the grid uh, you can even find us on Instagram where we'll occasionally post nice pictures of nice cars and <laughs> things like that uh, that's also at back of the grid um, remember as well if you follow us on any of those social media networks to hit the notifications button and then when we do tweet things and put things out you'll know straight away and then you can keep up to date with all the things going on uh, but that's it for this week I think yep think so So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. (laughs) And happy birthday, Stu. Happy birthday, Stu. Goodbye. Bye. This podcast is part of Brit Pot Scene, 
an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritPodScene.com or BritPodScene on Twitter to find out more. Oh,